Right now I'm walking through the ancient streets of the old city, Jerusalem, and it was built upon the foundations of many other cultures from many other times, and it's a lot like our faith. Our faith has come down to us through the stories and the events and the lives of other people that God has used. And so, in this series, we're inviting you to walk along with us as we look at those ancient foundations for our faith. This series is called Origins. the garden tomb. This is one of the first century tombs that people really do believe that Jesus could have been prepared for his burial and then laid and then risen on that very first Easter day. have the privilege of being in the site of that garden tomb, the empty tomb, it, it floods me with mixed emotions from one spectrum to the other. It, it really starts off as I'm in that site, and they've really done a great job preserving it. Whether it's the real tomb or not, it certainly provides a setting that reminds us of the real tomb. And as I sit there, the first emotion that floods me is sadness, quite frankly. And I'm flooded with sadness for what that empty tomb says about humanity itself, of which I'm a part and you're a part, that, that human beings were willing to kill Jesus just because he didn't fit into their agenda just impacts me. I mean, it tells us that humanity is willing to do anything to eliminate that which messes with its plans or messes with its view. Simply because Jesus wasn't convenient for them, they wanted to kill him. And it just, just messes with me. When, when I'm in that context, and as you know, context really is the key to understanding. It's the key to seeing the issues we're looking at more clearly. And when I'm in the context of that empty tomb, I'm... I'm hit with sadness because of what it says about Jesus' last days. 
I mean, I sit there and I, I can't help but think of those last days on this planet and his unimaginable suffering and then his undeserved death. And, and it really happened to him. I mean, they're in that place. And then I have to make some personal application to it. I'm the cause. We're the cause. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.21 really points it out. It says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It just reminds me that my failures, my sin, my disobedience, my rebellion, my, my following and pursuing my own agenda instead of God's agenda is deserving ultimately of separation from God, of my own death. But Jesus came to die that death for me. So when I'm in front of this tomb, it just fills me with sadness that my life, our lives, created this mess that he had to go through. When I'm in the context of this empty tomb, it it hits me with sadness because of what it says about our world today here in the 21st century. This isn't just a... This isn't just a 2,000-year-ago deal. This, it speaks to us today. Because as I sit there in front of that empty tomb, I realize that most people are still living as if Jesus was just another guy who lived his life way back when and then died and certainly a tragic death, but he's still in the tomb. That's how they're living their lives. They're still living in the shadow of a tomb with him in it. Because they're not experiencing any of the hope, any of the life that, that he came to give them. They're still experiencing life as if he never came at all, as if he never burst forth from death out of that tomb. And so when I sit in front of that tomb, I realize that while most people are still living like the disciples did after Jesus died and before he arose... I mean, before he died, they thought, boy, he's going to conquer Rome, and he's going to make our lives great, and he's profound, and all this different stuff. He's Savior. But then when he died, they were absolutely filled with confusion and frustration. They were defeated. They were grieving. They were lost. They had no purpose in life, no direction in life, and ultimately, they were in despair. They were without hope. Ephesians 2.12 describes where they were before Jesus burst out of that tomb very well. It says in Ephesians 2.12, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ without hope and without God in the world. You know, and between the cross and the resurrection, they were without God and without hope. They thought all hope was lost. And this is true of anyone who isn't fully embracing the reality of a living Christ that The reality that Jesus didn't just come and die and get buried, but he really rose again. Anyone who's separate from the reality of the living Christ is without God and without hope in this world. And so when I'm in this context, I I realize, isn't it sad? He burst forth from that tomb and he changed the entire world. And yet most people are still living in the shadow of that tomb as if he's in it. And quite frankly, if I'm honest, many days I'm living as if I'm still in the shadow of a tomb with him in it as if he's not alive. Aren't you? But then my, my emotions, because I can't stand being Eeyore for too long, my emotions switch to the Winnie Pooh side, you know, the Winnie the Pooh. I kind of move towards the joy spectrum because that's what the empty tomb's ultimately supposed to do, move us from, from sadness to joy. And when I'm in the presence of that empty tomb, I'm filled with joy for what it says about God's love for us, what it says about God's love for me. 
That, that tomb, the fact that Jesus left heaven, paradise, and came to our hell, our place of darkness, he left light for darkness, for love of us, tells us that his love is unconditional for us. It's unlimited for us. Nothing can keep him. Nothing can stop him from loving us. Nothing. I mean, look at Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still rejecting him, Christ died for us. As we were pounding nails to keep him on a cross, he was loving us. And so in front of that tomb, I'm just, I'm just filled with profound joy that I'm loved to that extent by the God who made me. When I'm in the presence of this empty tomb, it fills me with joy because of what it says about God's promises. God's promises can be trusted. He promised that he was going to come right after Adam and Eve sinned. He promised all the way through the writing of the Old Testament that he was going to come. And people kept saying, oh, you know, he's not going to come. He's not going to fulfill that promise. But he did. And then he promised that he was going to die. He was going to be the lamb that suffers for the sins of humanity. But he wasn't going to stay dead. He was going to rise again. And he said, three days I'll be dead and then I'll rise. Three days I'll be dead and then I'll rise. And everybody just doubted and disparaged that promise. But what did he do? He fulfilled his promise. So in front of that empty tomb, I realized God's promises will always be fulfilled. They can be trusted. And that's what the Bible says. Look at Psalm 145, verse 13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he's made. And so that empty tomb just reminds me of the fact that I can trust his promises. And this is important to me because, I mean, I'm going to just tell you, Day after day, week after week, very often I'm feeling like I'm falling short on experiencing God's promises, aren't you? I mean, very often it seems like his promises might have been fulfilled back then, but I'm not experiencing them so much right now. And his promises might be experienced by others, but it's certainly not being experienced by me quite often. And, and I'm, I'm judging God in each of my now moments instead of realizing that you know, right now is not always the perfect time to bring his promises to fruition in my life. Just like it wasn't the perfect time to send Jesus right after the fall. It wasn't the perfect time to send Jesus in periods of the Old Testament. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son. He fulfills his promise. And I don't know where you're at in life, but I just want you to know, when you look at this empty tomb... I know that you're not in the context, you're not there, maybe one day you'll get there, but when you look at the empty tomb, when you remember the empty tomb, you need to remember his promises to you can be trusted. He will always be there in the valley or on the mountaintop. He will always be there in times of pain and brokenness or in times of joy and profound dreams coming true. He'll be there. When I'm in front of that empty tomb and truly contemplating its impact, it fills me with joy for one more reason. It fills me with joy for what it says about hope. Hope is always available for all of us. I mean, if there was ever a time it seemed like hope was lost, it's when Jesus, the Messiah, the creator of the world, was killed and put in a tomb. It was like, okay, humanity has finally done it. It's gone. Despair will rule from now on. But then he burst forth from that tomb. When he, when he kicked that rock away from the tomb like it was a soccer ball, I'm going to tell you right now, it changed hope forever. 
And I, I believe when I'm standing there, and you have to know I'm an extremely strange individual when it comes to how I think inside. When I'm sitting there and looking at that empty tomb, I'm, and I'm really on the joy side of it, I, I think of him, you know, kicking that rock aside, you know, score! You know, I can hear the announcer now, and then I see him doing the moonwalk on the outside of it, back and forth. And I mean, hope is always available. Hope is always available for all of us. That's profound. Look at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How has he given us living hope? How has he given us new birth into this living hope? Through the resurrection. And, and as a result, we now have an inheritance of hope that can never perish, that can never spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. When you look at this empty tomb, yes, it reminds us of all the bad things about humanity and all the sadnesses in our world. But it should also fill you with joy because it means hope is always available for you. This weekend, as we continue in this series, Origins, I want to give you this truth. And this this one sentence is life-changing and it's, I think, descriptive of the whole empty tomb reality. The empty tomb changes everything. The empty tomb changes everything. And all of us know when we look inside our own lives, when we look in our relationships, when we look into our communities, when we look into our our churches, when we look around the world, all of us know a lot of change is needed. And you need to know that change has come. The empty tomb changes everything. To which a lot of people go, okay, (laughs) you know, that's really great. Sounds good. But if the empty tomb changes everything, then how come everything hasn't changed? Right? If the empty tomb changes everything, how come everything hasn't changed? Even for those of us who claim to believe it and who talk about it and sing about it, how come it hasn't changed? And the reason is simple. The empty tomb is a catalyst that can ultimately bring about all this great change and will and does. It's just that we haven't added it to our lives. We haven't added it to the way we live. We haven't added it to the world. Now, I know all of you, because all of you were such profoundly great students devoted to to study and to academics. I mean, I look around here, and I'm just sure all of you were A students, right? Um, How many of you took chemistry actually listened in chemistry and actually liked chemistry. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of the rest of you hated people like that? Yeah, seriously. That's right. So those of you who just raised your hand have no clue what a catalyst is, right? Uh, A catalyst had to do with chemistry in a way. uh, A catalyst is a, a substance, a given substance that causes a chemical reaction when mixed with other substances. It's like they're just all sitting there, nothing's going on, no change is going on, but then when that one substance is added, the catalytic substance, you know, there's a huge reaction. It's been used to then define life itself because a catalyst in life is a person or a thing or an event or an occurrence that brings about and precipitates change. You add a person into the mix or an event or a thing, something different, and it literally turns everything upside down and changes everything. Well, that's what the empty tomb is. When Jesus kicked that stone away, it was a catalyst that changes everything. But here's the deal. 
A catalyst has to be mixed with the other substances or there's no reaction. And there are a lot of us talking about the empty tomb and saying we believe in the empty tomb and singing about the empty tomb and existing in an environment where the empty tomb is believed and accepted, but we haven't allowed it into our lives. We haven't embraced it as the reality of life. And because it hasn't been added, just because it's around us doesn't mean we've changed. We haven't added it to our lives, and so it hasn't created the reaction. It hasn't created the change. We need to embrace by faith the reality of the resurrection every single day. And when we do, it changes everything. Let me just share some of the things in big picture form. And then I hope that you'll take it further in your life that, that the empty tomb changes. The empty tomb changes our view of Jesus. When, when we truly embrace it with faith and add it to our lives, it changes our view of Jesus. It changes our view of his importance the importance and value of his teaching, the place that he deserves in our lives. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. Jesus was declared with power to be everything he said he was by his resurrection from the dead. You know, there have been a lot of people on this planet, a ton of people on this planet down through the centuries who have said, I'm God, I'm Messiah, I'm the one that can redeem you, I'm the one with the truth that can set you free, that can change your life. We have religions all over this globe today that were built and designed and created and developed by people who claim to be God or the prophet of God. But every single one of them died, was put in a tomb, and stayed there. Every single one of them. Except for one, Jesus. Jesus, and I know there are some of you who don't believe in the resurrection. I'm so glad that there are people coming into Northridge who have yet to really believe in Jesus and have doubts about God himself. I'm so glad you're here. You're welcome here. Keep coming. But the truth is, if you look into history, it is one of the single most verifiable historical events, realities of history, if you're a reasonable person, this resurrection. It is is rational to believe in it. He rose from the dead. And as Romans 1, 4 says, when you embrace the reality that he rose from the dead, you then change your view of him. He's not just another also ran with other religious leaders. He's not just a cool guy that gave us some neat principles to live by. He's who he said he was, the son of God, the creator of this world, the fulfiller of his promises, the one who loves us so unconditionally that he came into this world, he suffered the death that we deserved, and then rose again to give us new life. The empty tomb changes our view of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. The empty tomb changes our view of ourselves. And this is a view that needs to be changed because when most of us look in the mirror, we're seeing a distorted view of who God created us to be. We see ourselves through our failures. We see ourselves through our emptiness, through our deceptions. We see ourselves as we really think we are, but we don't see ourselves as God really made us to be. But when we really add the empty tomb to our lives, when we embrace it as the reality of Jesus, that he's alive today, it changes our view of ourselves. Let me just give you a couple examples. Peter is a good example. Peter, you know, St. Peter, they call him now, St. Peter. If you walked with Peter, you would never have called him a saint, I'm quite sure. 
he was a, he was a failure, quite frankly, a big-time failure. You know, he's the guy that, that said, Jesus, I love you more than everybody else. He says, do you love me more than these other followers? Yeah, I love, I love you more than him. He goes, well, you're going to deny me. Three times, he goes, no, these others might, but I love you too much. I'll die for you. And then, of course, before the rooster crowed, what did he do? He denied him three times. Cussed a little girl out because he didn't want to be identified with Jesus. He, he cowered and ran and rejected the Lord. He was a failure. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, another name for Peter. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He's going he's gonna to attack you big time. But know this, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. That is such an interesting phrase. I pray that your faith may not fail. Now, you have to understand, Jesus is the one who said, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. He knew he was going to deny him three times. He knew he was going to turn away from him. But he says, I'm praying that even though you're going to deny me, and even though you're going to go through a time of brokenness, that your, your foundation of faith won't fail and that you'll turn back to me and that's exactly what happened he did ultimately turn back to him and then he did strengthen his brothers but here's what I want you to see when you really add the living Jesus to your life the empty tomb becomes the reality failure is no longer final in your life though Peter was an unbelievable failure he wasn't ultimately defined by failure he was defined by the new birth into living hope. He was defined by success. Do you realize Peter, the great failure, was the first one to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection to Jerusalem? And on that day, 3,000 people came to faith. He wasn't a failure because he added the empty tomb to his life. Many of us look in the mirror and what do we see? Failures. People who can't do it, people who are broken, people who are hurt, people who have to pretend to be something they're not so that others will think differently of them than they think of themselves. But when you really add the empty tomb to your life, it becomes a catalyst to change the view you have of yourself. I'm not a failure anymore, I'm forgiven. Paul's another great example, Saint Paul. Well, Paul was a guy who killed people simply for following Jesus. He, he, he believed so much in his religion that he was willing to persecute people for following Jesus. But then G Jesus introduced himself to Paul. Paul realized this Jesus was real, that he really did walk out of that tomb, that the tomb really was empty, and it transformed Paul's life, and it got him to this place. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul's simply saying there are no barriers to being who God created us to be, even though we failed. There are no barriers to doing what God desires for us to do, even though we failed profoundly there. When we add the empty tomb to our lives, the living Jesus to our lives, it changes our view of ourselves. And, and I thought I'd just get it a little bit more personal here for a minute. Let's look into our own lives. Every single one of us knows that we've failed, that we've messed up, that we've sinned against God, that we've pushed him out of our lives, and, and our sin literally leaves us separated from God. So we feel at a distance from God. We feel like he's not as close as he ought to be. And you need to know every human being alive who've sinned knows what it's like to feel far away from God. But know this, though we feel far away from God, God is always close, always. All you have to do is go back into the Old Testament and follow the story. And though, though people failed profoundly like we do today, God always stayed close. In fact, when they were walking in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God and they didn't trust God, 
God had them build a thing called a tabernacle, this huge tent, and inside was this place called the Holy of Holies where God's glory, his light shone in this Holy of Holies. And it was always in the midst of their camp, though they felt at a distance, God was always close. They couldn't go into his presence because they couldn't, they couldn't stand his holiness. They couldn't stand in his presence, but he was always close, but they still felt distant. And then they built the temple and the same thing. They had a holy of holies and, and they were close. He was close, but they felt at a distance. Even today, you saw in our video to this series, and maybe you've seen it in pictures in the media, the Jews praying at the Western Wall, and I've had the privilege of being there. In the video, it's where I'm wearing that cool little hat, you know? And people go there and pray, and they pray with passion, and they put little handwritten notes in the wall because they're wanting to to get close to God. They're feeling a distance from God and like he's a distance from them. And the reason they pray at the Western Wall is because it's the closest remnant of the old temple to where the Holy of Holies used to be. And they're trying to get close, but they still feel distant. Even though we feel distant from God, he's always been close. But the empty tomb does something amazing. When Jesus died and rose again, everything was changed. If you read the Bible, the the veil in the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom because when Jesus died, it meant that we no longer had to stand outside of the Holy of Holies. We could walk in, and when he rose again, what he was doing is he was giving us the life we needed to be in God's presence. Here's the deal. When you look at this empty tomb, it should change your view of yourself. You no longer have to be at a distance from God. You can now be in his presence, but this is even more important. He no longer has to be outside of you, but now he can enter into you where he was always meant to be. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know? Your body is the dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Jesus died and was buried and rose again for you. Therefore, honor God with your body. Man, it should absolutely change our view of ourselves. The empty tomb changes everything. Here's the problem. We sing the songs about the resurrection. We tell the story of the resurrection. We just don't live the storyline. We don't add it to our lives. It's not a catalyst of change for us. So here we are in an environment where everything has been changed and we remain the same because we haven't embraced the reality that Jesus isn't at a distance. He's inside. Jesus isn't failing to fulfill his promises. He's fulfilling his promise. Jesus is here and alive. It should change us because the empty tomb changes everything. The empty tomb changes our view of others. When we really add it to our lives and embrace it, it changes our view of other people. Now, I really like the first two points. It changes my view of Jesus. Yeah, he's alive. His teaching's important and relevant. Isn't that great? It changes my view of myself. I don't have to see myself as a failure, but I can see myself as someone forgiven that can move forward. But this one, I don't really like so much because it means that I have to also change my view of you. I like that my failures aren't final. I just don't buy into the fact that your failures aren't final, especially when you're hurting me. Do you know what I'm saying? I have found it's really easy to forgive me. It's really difficult to forgive you. Have you found that? Or are you more spiritual than I am? Liars. 
And seriously, when, when we really embrace the empty tomb, and this is where I'm really challenged, because it's easy to kind of forgive myself and you know, hold Jesus in high esteem, but when I really add the catalyst of the empty tomb to my life, when I really embrace the reality that Jesus is alive, it changes my view of others. Their failures aren't final. There's no human being beyond help and beyond hope. Not one, not you. Because if Jesus can kick aside that stone and overcome death, he can overcome and has every one of our failures. I don't know what's holding you back. I don't know what's holding you down. I don't know what continually gets first place in your life and keeps you away from experiencing God. I don't know that which defines you, but I do know this. Whatever it is, it can't hold a candle to the power of Jesus Christ who walked out of that tomb. You're not beyond help. You're not beyond hope. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Remember when I stand in front of this empty tomb or sit there and contemplate it, it fills me with profound sadness and profound joy. Sadness about humanity, sadness about myself, sadness about the world that we live in. Well, the good news is, whatever your sadness, it can turn to joy because Jesus can change the old to the new. The only reason I do what I do week in and week out and have been doing it so long is because I know that every single one of you can experience the life change that comes with the living Jesus if you just add him to your life, if you would just embrace him as real. It changes my view of you. When you really embrace the reality of, of the empty tomb, it changes your view of suffering and trouble. This too is where I'm challenged because I'm not a person that likes suffering and trouble all that much. I mean... <laughs> I know other people are going through it, but I just don't like it when I go through it. Are any of you as selfish and dysfunctional and messed up as I am? Any, any of you? Okay. I can really live okay if other people are suffering, but man, I have a hard time living okay when I am. And I, I really hate trouble. In fact, most of my prayers are about, you know, you know, let this day go well kind of a deal. But when you really embrace the empty tomb, it changes your view of suffering and trouble. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8.18. And remember, Paul believed in the empty tomb. I consider that our present sufferings, everything we're going through right now, it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul suffered more than I'll ever suffer. Paul suffered more than you'll ever suffer probably. I mean, this guy suffered a ton, and yet he said, all of the significant sufferings I'm going through, I consider nothing when I compare them to the fact that I'm going to experience eternity in God's glory. Though life is horrible right now, on the timeline of eternity, right now isn't even a piece of lint. So I'm not going to get my life ruined by suffering because I see life in terms of the empty tomb and that means that this life is but an infinitesimal part of my life. And it's okay. Look at John 16, This is what Jesus told us. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you're going to have significant trouble. Of course you are. But take heart. I've overcome the world. The empty tomb is what Jesus was talking about. I've overcome the world. I know life's tough. I know life has trouble. I know humanity is cruel. But hey, be at peace. Because that empty tomb just proves that I've overcome all of that.
There's more to life than that. So when you really add the catalyst of the empty tomb to your life, though you don't like suffering, though you don't look forward to trouble, it changes your view of it. It doesn't get you bitter. It doesn't get you angry. It doesn't make you dismiss God and reject him because he's not giving you what you want. It changes your view of it. When, when you really embrace the empty tomb, it changes your view of death itself. Death. You don't want to get there quickly, though some of you, the way you eat, you're going to. I mean, I, I used to like McDonald's too, but then I turned 13 and realized it might not be great. But that is yeah, a whole different thing. But when you really do embrace the empty tomb, it changes your view of death. It guts death of its power. Look at John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26. Know the context. Context is the key to understanding. He's standing in front of his friend Lazarus's tomb. His friend, very good friend, Lazarus, who also has sisters, Mary and Martha, died. So Jesus knows about physical death. Jesus isn't living in a delusion where there is no physical death. He's standing in front of the tomb of his friend. And look what he says in John 11, 25 to 26 to one of... Lazarus's sisters. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He's saying, Lazarus still lives even though he died. And then look what he says. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. This is not a moment of delusion in his life. Here's what he's saying. You see, death is something final. Death is simply a change of location. Death is simply a change of address. He goes, you see Lazarus as having a life that's now over, but Lazarus has just stepped into life that is life. He's never going to die. And then to prove it, he said, and let me just prove it to you, he's still alive. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He came out of the tomb. They had to unwrap him and all that different stuff. And everybody's going, whoa! They saw that as life. But where did Lazarus come from? He was never gone. He was never dead. His body dropped down, but he just moved into God's presence. In fact, the only one that was disappointed on this day was Lazarus. I'm being serious. Because he'd walked into God's presence and he goes, Wow, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. I bet you it's the first time Lazarus really wanted to disobey his friend. Forget it, I'm not coming. Do you know what my sisters are like? Just thought I'd throw that in. I don't know if there's any truth to it or not. Though they're pretty whiny in the Bible. I don't know. The empty tomb changes our view of death. Death is not the end of anything. It's a relocation. But I don't live as if death's a relocation. Do you? I don't respond to the death of people I love as if it's a relocation. And it's okay to grieve. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. But it's not okay to literally give up on hope because you're dying or someone else has died because in Christ, the empty tomb proves you're just moving on to a different address. When we really add the catalyst of the empty tomb to our life, when we trust and embrace it in our lives, it changes our view of life itself. It changes our view of life. It tells us that life shouldn't be lived in fear. It should be lived courageously and on purpose. 
Look at how Paul said it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of fear, of anxiety, of smallness. But he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And all you have to do is look at the change in the disciples' life after Jesus rose from the dead. You want one of the great proofs of, of the fact that Jesus rose? Before Jesus died... Every single one of them rejected him. Every single one of them ran in fear for their lives. Every single one lived a life of self-protection, running for fear. Then all of a sudden, every single one of them had a transformation that caused them to be willing and to ultimately die for their faith. Instead of running in fear, they died for their faith. Only John didn't die, but he was persecuted. He was boiled in oil. He was put in a lonely island. Then he wrote the book of the Revelation. But I'm telling you, they went from running to standing boldly in faith. And there was only one difference. And the difference was the empty tomb. If they had hidden his body, they wouldn't have then lost their fear. He rose from the dead. And it changed them entirely. The empty tomb was the catalyst for their life's transformation. And it can be for ours as well if we live based upon it. The truth is the empty tomb changes everything. The empty tomb changes our view of the world. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Don't love the world or anything in the world. That doesn't mean don't consider the mountains beautiful or the oceans beautiful or the great lakes beautiful or, or the snow beautiful, though if you think that, you're, yeah, no, you've got some challenges. But it's, it's talking about the ways of this world, the things of this world, the longings of this world. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, you know, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, that doesn't come from God the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires you shouldn't love because they pass away. But the man who does, who loves the will of God, that's the one who lives forever. Mark eight thirty six says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So many of us are living day in and day out for the things of this moment. I mean, we get mad at God when he doesn't give us the things of this moment. We live embittered lives because this moment isn't going well for us. Instead of saying the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory, we say the suffering of this present time is, is worth kicking God out of my life, putting him on the back shelf of my life. We love this world too much. But when you really add the empty tomb to your life, you realize this world is nothing. God is everything. The resurrection, the empty tomb, should change your view of eternity, of life after death. It's a certainty. It's guaranteed. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 through 21. If Jesus could kick that stone away and come back to life, he'll do it for us. Look what he says. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Come on. If Jesus didn't leave that tomb alive, then come on. Eat, drink, and be merry. Go party. Time to go clubbing. And I'm not talking about lifetime here. I mean time to just go party. And you think that's me? No, that's what he says. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die if he didn't live. But, then he says, but Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. 
He has indeed been raised from the dead. That tomb is now empty. And know what it is. It's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruit, yeah. He was the first one of all who will follow him. Since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. Man, the empty tomb should change your view of, of eternity. But you know what I find? I find that we sing about it, that we talk about it, that we claim that we believe in it, it doesn't really change our view of this world. It doesn't really change our view of ourselves. It doesn't really change our view of others. It doesn't really change our view of eternity. It doesn't really change our view of what's valuable because we really haven't added it to our lives. We really haven't added it to our lives. I want to give you the application and then I want to give you the metaphor that has brought it home for me. The application is simple. The empty tomb changes everything. It really does. The empty tomb changes everything, but we'll never experience that change until we make the choice to believe. Until we make the choice to live our lives in full reality of the empty tomb. That's when it changes everything because it's a catalyst. Now, let me give you the metaphor. It's an important metaphor. How many of you have ever seen or had a glow stick? Seen or had a glow stick? Okay, the rest of you just don't want to participate. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Really encouraging me, strengthening your brother. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, this glow stick right here is a great metaphor for what I'm talking about. It's, it's made up of a couple of parts, but inside the important part of this is a catalytic substance, a catalyst, that when added to the other elements and substances in this glow stick, it transforms it from boring and nothing into light. And all of it's there. The catalyst is there. And all of the other stuff's there, but there's no light. In fact, the catalyst is floating in the environment of all those other substances, and yet it's still not creating change. In order for the transformation to happen, the catalyst has to be embraced by those other substances. You might not know this, but inside that heavy plastic along with the other substances is the catalyst in a little glass tube little glass tube floating in the environment of those other things I never knew this and by the way don't ever leave here and say that you don't learn crap because this is unbelievable we do a lot of research for you seriously and what happens when you snap this plastic thing that glass breaks and the catalyst goes in and transforms those substances into light. Isn't it interesting? The catalyst is always there. It changes everything. It's just that nothing changes because it's never been added. The same is true with us. A lot of people go, well, I don't understand. If the, if the empty tomb changes everything, how come I'm not changed? If the empty tomb changes, how come we're not all changed? If the empty tomb changes, how come that's not going on in my life? It's because we're like the glow stick before it's broken. The reality is the only way we can ultimately experience the, the transformation of the empty tomb is by ourselves being broken. We have to ultimately realize that though we have tried to be our own God and do our own thing and go our own way, though we have 
tried to be everything we can be. We have failed. We've pushed God out of our lives. We've sinned against him. And, and we have to come to the end of ourselves. And religion doesn't bring us to the end of ourselves. Religion actually builds on us thinking we can do it on ourselves. Because religion is, I can earn God's favor. I can get in good, I can do this different thing. But you can't. The only way we ultimately experience the power of the empty tomb is if we experience the brokenness of repentance. Where we come to the end of ourselves and we say, I, I've failed, I'm a mess, I can't do anything about it. And we turn away from trusting ourselves to then trusting Jesus. And hear his knock and open the door of our life to him and put our faith in him. And what happens is that's when the transformation takes place. I believe many of us, like the catalytic substance and the glow stick, are in the environment of the empty tomb, but we've not experienced the power of the empty tomb because we've never repented and trusted him. We've done religion, but we haven't done repentance and faith. This is our moment. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll go from darkness to light. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of worship. In a moment, we're going to experience a metaphor that I believe can really impact your life. But before we do, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer. And as we bow in prayer, I, I believe many of us here, though we're in the environment of the empty tomb, we've not experienced the transformation of the empty tomb because we've never repented and believed. This is your moment. I'm going to pray and invite you to take my words and make them your expression to God. Say, God, I really have pushed you out of my life, done life my own way. I've sinned against you. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sin and rose again to give me new life. And so, in this moment, I'm repenting of my sin, confessing it to you, and turning in faith to your death, burial, and resurrection. Change me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me before we move into worship, I just really want to encourage you, please let us know. I mean, it's such an encouragement to us that God used this moment to impact your life, but it can also be an encouragement to you because we've put together a letter that can help you to navigate through some next steps that are available to you in your journey with God, but we need to know you prayed with me. And so in our live services, we give you this program, and inside is a connection card, so easy to tear off, and just fill it out, and on the bottom, check that circle that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus, and then to get it to us, we have boxes at every single exit of our auditoriums in all three of our campus environments. Put it in there, and we'll celebrate with you, but we'll send you that information. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, just hit the what next button, we'll do the same for you. But now, here's what we want to do. We, we want to celebrate with you in worship as our worship team comes out the metaphor of the fact that the empty tomb changes everything. So we're going to get each and every one of you a glow stick so you can participate in this moment. I really want to encourage you to do it. Now, here in the center row at Plymouth, um, we have provided some for you already, not for all of you in the center row, but for some of you. And underneath your armrests on the inside, 
you will find some here in the middle section. Keep it. Don't pass it to your friend. Don't feel bad someone else didn't get it. They'll get their own. You keep it. That's for you. It's not in the balcony, just down here on the main floor. The rest of you, our guest service team's going to come, and when the worship team starts to sing, they're going to pass out glow sticks to every one of you. So, you know, you don't have to fight each other over these things. You don't have to wrestle to the ground. You know, you'll all get your own. And, but here's the thing. I know human nature. As soon as you get this thing, you're going to want to break that. That's cool. That's cool. Don't do that, or you're not going to go to heaven when you die. All right? No, that's not true. That's not true. It's not true, but don't, don't do that. Just hold it. And then in the middle of our worship song, they'll cue you. And at the same time, everybody's going to break these things and, and we're going to experience it. But when you break that, remember, the empty tomb changes everything. But it has to be embraced and added to our lives before it does. Make sense? Let's all stand together and let's worship. <laughs>